Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. If you haven't been with us for the last few weeks, we're week three in a uh, series on sex and relationships. And I think you'll have realized we're not skirting around the issues. So we're sort of giving this um, series a 12 certificate. So if you're a parent and you've got a child under 12, it can probably be worth them going to MoKids because uh, some of the issues we talk about. Today, we're looking at the problem of nakedness. The problem of nakedness. Can we just shut those doors? Is that okay? Welcome, team. The problem of nakedness. Not just physical nakedness, although we will look at that, but the fact that we all have a problem with physical nakedness, and to some extent, reveals that we all have a deeper nakedness we're concerned about, a nakedness of the soul, a spiritual nakedness. You see, if you, if you have a problem with nakedness, you have a fear of being exposed. If you have a problem with nakedness, you try and cover up. Physically, yeah, but also in terms of guilt and shame and the past and what's going on inside. To be completely naked, according to the Bible, is to have nothing to cover up. And for most of us, that's a fearful thought, whether physically or emotionally and spiritually. So that's what we're going to look at today. If there was ever an area where people didn't want to admit their past failings, where people didn't want to be seen to be fully known, where people didn't want to be exposed, where people felt the need to cover up, it's the area of sex and relationships. If you'll excuse the pun, if there's an area that we hate to be completely naked... It's in the area regarding sex and relationships. We hate to be exposed. We desperately try to cover up. We all have a problem with nakedness, whether physical or spiritual. Why? Why is that? Where does that problem of nakedness come from? Well, Genesis 1 and 2 tells us. So if you turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, right at the beginning. You see, in the beginning, God made a perfect world. Perfect in every word. The word for it is shalom in the Jewish uh, faith. It means completeness, it means wholeness, it means peace, it means harmony. And that peace, that harmony, that wholeness, that completeness is perfectly sort of expressed right at the end of Genesis 2 in the creation account. And it says this, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. They they were naked and they felt no shame. So nakedness, according to the Bible, was to be fully known. For you to know everything about me, for there to be no cover-up, no pretense, no spin. What you see is what you get and I'm not ashamed. God made us, you know. He made every single one of us to be completely confident in ourselves. To not be envious, not be nervous, not be fearful, not feel threatened, not to be insecure. We were naked And we were unashamed. Again, physical nakedness, sure, but it reveals a much deeper nakedness. All that, all that amazing shalom, completeness, wholeness, security, unashamedness was shattered in every single one of our lives, according to Genesis 3. Why? Because Adam and Eve decided to take control of their lives. They decided, I'm going to determine what is right and wrong. They were going to decide what to do with their bodies. They were going to be their own saviour and their own lord. They ate from the forbidden fruit. 
God had told them not to eat from. What happens? Chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? What a question God asks us today. Who told you you were naked? Imagine the scene. God goes up to Adam walking along in the cool of the day. He did it every single day, it seems to imply. And he says to Adam, Adam, come with me. Let's go for a walk. Adam says, I can't. God says, why not? He goes, because I'm naked. And God says, duh, I made you that way. But you see, something's changed. Adam and Eve never had clothes. They never had clothes. They were always naked. And God would always come and walk with them in the cool of the day. But something's changed. How do we know? Well, look at the three things Adam and Eve do. One, they make fig leaves. They, sew them, they get fig leaves, they sew them together, and they make coverings from themselves. Physical nakedness needs covering. They hide from God in the trees. Spiritual nakedness, I need to hide from my maker. And then they make a list of excuses. It wasn't me, it was her, it wasn't, it wasn't me, it was him. They're ashamed. Emotional nakedness, they hide They cover up. They make excuses. Before they didn't mind their nakedness. Now they can't stand their nakedness. They hide. They cover up. They make excuses. They do anything to avoid their nakedness. And it's how we all feel, isn't it? We relive that story every week. Put it another way. We hate to come into the light. We prefer to stay in the dark. We prefer to stay behind the tree. We prefer to cover up with fruit leaves. We prefer to make excuses because it's so much easier. It's less painful. We hate our nakedness. Why? We see in the moment where you and I, where Adam and Eve say, I'm going to do it my way, God. I'm going to decide what's right and wrong. I'm going to do what I want with my body. We lose our righteousness, the Bible says. We lose our purity. We lose our acceptability. We've lost our real clothing. And they cannot, we cannot, they cannot stand to be seen. We don't want to be seen. By God, we hide from him. By each other, we make coverings. We can't even stand to be seen by ourselves. We make foolish excuses and convince ourselves that it's not really our fault. We can't stand to that don't see my nakedness. Don't see my guilt and my shame. Deep down, every single one of us knows it. And this is how the Bible puts it in Habakkuk. Your eyes, talking about God, are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. We are so fearful of those eyes that see us, our maker's eyes that see us, because we know they are too pure to look on evil, and he cannot tolerate wrong. His eyes, his sight, his seeing of us is too pure, it's too honest, it's too holy, it's too righteousness, righteous, and we hide. Hebrews 4.13 says this, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. 
Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We all know deep in our soul there are eyes that see everything and we're uncovered, we're laid bare. And what is scary is we're going to have to give an account to those eyes. And those eyes are pure, they're holy, they're perfect. And before those eyes, we feel inadequate, we feel small, we feel impure, we've lost our acceptability, we feel inadequate, we've all got guilt and shame. And it comes because we say to God, I'm going to do it my way, but it leaves us so naked and full of shame and guilt before our maker. Just think of the modern equivalent the modern hidings, the modern coverings, the modern excuses, how we try and cover our unacceptability. Let's start with physical nakedness, which reveals a deeper nakedness, but let's start there. Why do we live in a gym-obsessed culture? How many people really go to the gym because they have a sport they want to be good at? We hate the way our bodies look. We'll do anything to look better. That might be thinner, that might be fuller. You, you, everyone, everyone's trying, we all, why do we spend so long looking in the mirror? Why do girls not want to go out the house until they put their makeup on? You hate the way you look. You can't stand what you look like naked. You want your face to be prettier. You want your body to be thinner. Why does it often pay, take people to be drunk before they'll sleep with people? Because then they've lost their sensitivities. I'll be naked now because I can't really remember what's going on. Why are so many of us envious when we look at a better body and we look at a prettier face? Because we feel inadequate. We can't stand our nakedness. But that only reveals a deeper nakedness, as I've been saying. We try and cover up and hide our guilt and our shame, our sense of inadequacy before God. We do it one of two ways, either with religion and morality. You see, what we say is, I know my mess of my past and particularly regarding sex and relationships, but look what I've done since. I'm a good person. I've made these commitments to you, God. I've done these things for you, God. I've lived a moral life, God. And we say, I'm not that bad. Look out, I'm not that bad. I have this every week on our intro course. When people understand that the Bible clearly teaches you you are that bad, the first reaction is, I'm not. I'm good. But you know what? You know why what a religious, moral person looks like? They're so defensive. They're so condescending. They're so unpleasant. They're so self-righteous. You can never challenge them. They're so protective. You never feel like you really know them, that you've got in. Why? Because they're desperately using religion and morality to cover up, to hide the nakedness and the shame to convince themselves, to convince God, to convince us, eat everyone, we're not that bad. What does God say to our religion and morality, which is a cover-up? He says this, Isaiah 64, all of us, notice that, have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts, all our religion and morality are filthy rags. That's the effect. They, how good are they covering up? They're filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and the wind Uh, And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. You'll never cover your nakedness and shame with religion and morality and trying to be good and having all these commitments to God. It is filthy rags in his sight. He sees beneath it. 
But you see, some people go to the other extreme. They go, I know I've messed up. I know I've made a hash of sex and relationships in my past. I feel so guilty and sinful and so full of shame. They don't go to religion and morality. They go to irreligion and immorality. I heard this story this week as I was preparing from a pastor in the U.S., At the end of an event he was speaking at, a woman came up to him and said, I just can't believe this. You're too narrow-minded. No one believes this anymore. The Bible's unreliable. What about those that have never heard the gospel? You have an ancient view of God and you need to come into the 21st century. She was aggressive towards him. The pastor asked some more questions. And he found out that she was in her first year of university. She'd been raised in a traditional Christian home, but she'd only just given up her faith. So the pastor said, well, when did you stop believing And she said, oh, around Thanksgiving, it just didn't seem intellectually to make sense anymore. And then he asked her, did anything happen around the time that caused you to give up your faith? Anything changed in your life? It eventually came out that she just decided to live with her partner and go against all her Christian teaching that she'd grown up with regarding relationships. Suddenly, it all made sense to him why Christianity didn't intellectually make sense to her. She couldn't stand the gaze of God at her immorality. She knew his eyes were too pure. Those intellectual arguments, that irreligion, what about those that have never heard the gospel? The Bible's full of contradictions. They're fig leaves. Just covering up her nakedness and shame, her sense of inadequate, her desire to get away from God. I have found this so often regarding the issue of sex and relationships. You know, you'll be speaking to someone as a good Christian friend, and then they go out with a non-Christian, and they try and justify it, and you won't be able to get into their lives. Or they'll start living with their partner, or they'll have had sex before marriage, and they don't want to stop. And they go, oh yeah, but the Bible's unreliable. Ah, That's just a fig leaf. It's not what you really think. You're just trying to hide and cover up. You're making excuses. They've suddenly become aware and they don't know how to hide and cover up. We want to walk in the darkness. We want to stay out of the light. It makes us feel better. Some people go religious and more, but look what I've done since. Some people go irreligious anymore, but it's all a load of rubbish. It doesn't work. You and I know it does not work. Past sexual mistakes and present sexual action Leave us guilty and ashamed. We want to cover up and we're so fearful of being exposed. That's the problem of nakedness, according to the Bible. What is the solution to that nakedness? Physical, but also the guilt and the shame. How do we restore our purity and righteousness? How do we regain a sense of acceptability where there's no more pretense? You can see me again for who I really am. Well, do you notice God comes looking for them. God enters the bomb site. And he asks the question, where are you? It's what Matt prophesied. Jesus is more interested in looking for you than we are for him. We're hiding up a tree. Genesis says we're behind him behind a tree. And he's going, where are you? Where are you? Every single day, God comes walking and he goes to you and me, where are you? Stop hiding. Stop covering up. I'm looking for you. And we keep hiding. We keep the excuses. We keep the fig leaves. But you notice verse 21, a magnificent verse of chapter 3. This is how our nakedness and shame is dealt with. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. 
This is the second gospel proclamation. This is the second time we get our glimpse of Jesus in the Old Testament. Go to verse 15 and you'll get your first time. In verse 15, it says this, talking about the devil or the serpent. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head. Someone is going to come, God said. He's going to crush the serpent's head, but he will strike his heel. You see, God said one day the work of Satan will be destroyed, but in destroying it, in crushing Satan's head, it's going to hurt. There's going to be cost. It's going to be sacrifice. It's going to involve pain. He's talking about the cross where Satan was defeated by Jesus, but it cost him his life. That's the first gospel proclamation. That's the first sighting of Jesus in the Old Testament. But what does that mean? Verse 21 says, God, um, God made garments of skin. Now, Adam and Eve had sewed fig leaves together. God covers them differently. He gets a garment of skin. What has to happen for there to be a garment of skin? Well, it's an animal sacrifice. It's a shedding of blood. You don't shed blood to sew fig leaves together. You shed blood to give a garment of skin. Back then, God said, the way I deal with your nakedness and shame is I shed blood and I cover you. I come looking for you. I say, where are you? And if you'll come out from behind the tree, I'll shed blood and I'll cover you and I'll restore your impurity. You'll regain your acceptability. You'll be righteous. You'll be pure. You'll be spotless. You'll be beautiful in my sight. What happens on the cross? Jesus is stripped naked so you and I can be clothed. Isn't that marvelous? And not only is he stripped physically naked, he takes on all the guilt and the sin and the shame on his shoulders. And he looks into the eyes of God. And he faces the full wrath of God against all sin. He looked into those pure, perfect eyes as he bore all our sexual sin, all our relational sin, all our guilt and shame. He looked at it. God punished him. And he was satisfied to clothe us with a new righteousness. It would mean forgiveness. It would mean guilt and shame had been dealt with. It would mean we could stop hiding and be vulnerable with each other. It would mean we'd stop walking in darkness and come into the light. It would mean we'd stop making excuses, accept our fault, and come to God for forgiveness. If you're sitting here today with guilt and shame, particularly in the area of sex and relationship, if there's stuff you want to hide, if there's excuses you continually give, whether religious or irreligious, you need to know two truths Genesis 2 and 3 teaches. First of all, all your efforts to cover up, to sew fig leaves together, will never deal with the problem of nakedness that you feel. It will never deal with it. God says, come out from behind the tree, put down the fig trees, give up the excuses. Because if you keep them up, you'll always feel inadequate. You'll never feel confident. You'll always feel insecure. You'll never feel pure. You'll never feel acceptable by your own efforts. Give it up! Come out from behind the tree. Drop the fig leaves. Stop making excuses. Second of all, you need to know Jesus' blood was shed. He was stripped naked so you could receive a new covering. He died for your guilt and shame. He died so you could stop hiding. He died so we could be naked and unashamed once again. 
God is faithful and just, it says in 1 John, and he'll forgive your sin. You don't have to fear his eyes anymore if you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I want to show you through a psalm what it really looks like to do this. It's Psalm 51. This is one of the most magnificent psalms that was ever written. It was by King David when David knew everything we've just talked about. I gave you the context a few weeks ago, but here it Well, let's read it together because it has... A, a, can we have the first thing up? Oh, we missed it. Never mind, that's my fault. In Psalm 51, it says this. If, you, if you've got a Bible, turn to it. In the heading uh, of Psalm 51... It says this, it says, For the director of music, this is to be sung about, this is how good this is, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. The context is this, David sent, he was king of Israel. He sent his army out to war to fight for God. He stayed at home. He should have been leading the army. He stayed at home. One of the main reasons people fall sexually is because they're not doing God's work. If you stay at home when you should be fighting for God, you'll get bored and you'll probably commit sexual sin. David found that out. He didn't go to war. He should have been leading the army. He stayed at home. He got bored. He saw Bathsheba. He lusted after her. He wanted her. Even though she was married to Uriah, he took her. He, He made love to her. He put Uriah on the front line of the army So he would die, and then he lied about it. He covered up. So we've got an adulterer, a murderer, and a liar. And maybe worst of all, he didn't, he he kept lying. He kept covering up. The prophet Nathan, you can read about it in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. God speaks to the prophet Nathan and says, you must go and confront King David. And he tells this wonderful story which exposes David. And David comes out and says, yeah, I have sinned. And he writes this magnificent psalm in response to Nathan's challenge to him. Can I just say this? I love this psalm, and it shows that if you have a mess of a sexual and relational past, you can be used for great healing for the future. Do you see, David? An absolute mess. This psalm becomes one of the greatest healing psalms ever written. I don't know how this works. God's grace is much bigger than our sin. You can make a mess of your past and that mess can be the source of healing for others in the future. Did God want David to commit adultery? Of course not. But somehow in the economy of God, it's a mystery, but it's a glorious mystery. The mess of your past can become the healing for others in the future. Psalm 51 testifies to it. Let's read it together. Verses 1 and 2, forgiveness according to the character of God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquities, and cleanse me from my sin. If you feel full of guilt and shame, the thing you appeal to is not your good works. It's the character, the mercy, the love, the compassion of God. But you notice you have to admit your transgressions. You have to admit your iniquity. You have to admit your sin. You have to stop hiding. A transgression is when you actively cross a boundary. A sin is when you fall short of the mark. 
They're the two words the Bible gives us. In sex and relationships, every one of us knows those two distinctions. At times we've said, stuff you, God, I'm going against you and your boundaries. At times we've gone, I've tried and I just fall short. You have to admit both. You have to admit when you've turned from God and said, stuff you, I'm doing it my own way. And you have to admit before God, I tried, but I I failed. Forgiveness according to the character of God. Then verses 3 to 6, truth of his situations. I've just highlighted this. For I know my transgressions when I go against you deliberately and my sin when I fail to live for you is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you're proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Do you see all the excuses, all the fig leaves? All the hiding has stopped. He's saying, here I am naked and I'm full of shame, but I'm ready for you to come and cleanse me. But notice this one thing. Against you, you only have I sinned. What about Bathsheba? What about the people of Israel? What about Uriah? Had he not sinned against them? Sure. But we only ever sin against others because we first sin against our maker. We only have devastating consequences that go horizontally because we turn away from the lawgiver and the giver of life and all good things. It is so important if you want to deal with it. A lot of you feel guilt and shame because you feel bad about how you've treated others. You need to stop feeling that first. You need to first go, I have offended my maker. And if you've never done that, I say this gently, you've never repented. If all you felt is, I feel so bad the way I treated her, or so bad the way I felt, you've never, it's before your God who gave you the boundaries, who gave you life, and who sets how life is supposed to be lived, and you turn your back on Him and lust after other women and commit these, it's before Him whose eyes are too pure that you need to come. And then, of course, Jesus says you've got to work out with each other. You must feel the guilt and the shame before your Maker to know he closed you. If you don't feel it, you see, and you make up with your person you messed up with, then you're just making fig leaves, aren't you? You've never repented before him. So, of course, you need to make up with each other and you need to do the horizontal stuff. But it starts with... (laughs) You see, when David says it, when Nathan... The first thing David says after Nathan challenges him is in 2 Samuel 12, 13. I think I've got it here. Then David said to Nathan... I have sinned against the Lord. See, David did it all the way through. I've sinned against the Lord. It's him I've offended. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. If you want to deal with your guilt and the shame, as God comes looking for you and says, where are you? You must, one, say, but two, appreciate and feel, verses 1 to 6 of Psalm 51. And if you don't feel it, it's the Holy Spirit that convicts you of sin. So you pray to him like mad. I don't feel this before my maker. And let him convict you. So that's how we start. You must say verses 1 to 6. And you must feel them and mean them and appreciate them. And ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand them. Verse 7 is absolutely remarkable. Verses 7 and 8. Whiter than snow, joy and gladness. David goes on. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me. 
and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. See that? I can't hide them and blot out my iniquity. I said this two weeks ago. You can be an adulterer and murderer and a liar, but you can come to God for forgiveness and be whiter than snow. And I said this before. Snow is wonderful because when it's fresh, if kids go and trample on it, and then it comes the next morning, it's fresh again. Perfect, pure, spotless, beautiful to look at. God says, come to me for forgiveness, and that is what you look like in my eyes. And yes, I will hide my face from your sins, because they went on Christ. And you know, what does he say? Let me hear joy and gladness, and let the bones you have crushed rejoice. If you've committed sexual sin, you won't know joy and gladness in your Christian faith. And your bones will feel crushed. Especially if you're trying to cover up with excuses and fig leaves. If you haven't felt joy and gladness in your faith for a while, go, is there unconfessed sin? Do my bones feel crushed because I know I haven't made peace with my maker through Christ? Repent of your sin and then go, let me, what does he say? He said, let me hear joy and gladness again. If you struggle to sing with celebration this morning, You need to go, Lord, let me hear that and let me go, wow, it's wonderful. One to six, you must do. Seven and eight, you must sort of claim and go, wow, I'm whiter than snow. I want this joy and gladness. Ten and twelve is a prayer for transformation. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Do you see the root issue? Last week Matt highlighted this. I hope I highlighted it two weeks ago. What you need if you're struggling with sexual sin is not more rules. Is not more, I'm going to do this for you, God. You need a new heart. A heart that stops loving sin and starts loving God. A heart that stops looking for personal satisfaction in sexual issues, but starts looking for satisfaction in God. A heart that stops wanting to be God and wants to start loving God. The issue is that we don't love him enough. He doesn't fill our minds enough. We're not captivated by him enough. We love other things more. David says, the king of Israel says, Created me a pure heart, a new heart. I need it. The answer for David is not, don't see a beautiful woman again. The answer is, have such a heart change that you can see a beautiful woman and not lust after her. Look what he says next. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. I wonder if you've ever thought, because of my sexual and relational mess, is God going to abandon me? Is he saying, you've blown it now? It's too late? David felt that. He thought, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't say it's too late, God. And God, of course, says, no, of course I won't. And then he prays again this prayer. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. There's no way of fighting sin better than having joy in your salvation. You know when people are so grateful and full of joy that they've been saved, that they've been rescued, that they've been forgiven, that they've been given new life, that the Holy Spirit lives in them, they don't really struggle to say no to sin. They're just so like, I cannot believe what I've just received in my salvation. Sin, why would I want to? Restore to me that joy because it will stop me sinning. And finally, grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I've prayed this prayer so many times with guys. This whole psalm, I've continually prayed it with men. And I say to them, this is what we now need. 
I don't want this to be temporary, God. I want a willing spirit. Give it me. I don't want this to be a, I'm going to do this today. Give me that willing spirit. Sustain me. Keep me going. Change me, Lord. Give me a new heart. Restore the joy of your salvation to me. Please give me that spirit that will sustain me for the long haul. And verse 16 and 17, just, we've got no time to carry on with it all. This is brilliant for us as we end. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. What is David saying to God? He is saying, you don't want my fig leaves. You don't want my attempts to cover up. You don't want my sacrifices. You don't want my burnt offerings. You don't want my filthy rags. You don't want any effort to pay you back. You want a broken heart, a contrite heart, a humble heart. One that comes and says, I'm a mess, but can I be vulnerable before you again, God? With no trying to cover up. God never rejects a broken and contrite heart. In fact, it's the only heart God accepts. It's the only heart he accepts. You have to admit you've sinned against him, primarily against him. Give up your justifications and trying to prove yourself. Declare yourself spiritually bankrupt before him. And he'll accept you. And he'll clothe you. And he'll deal with your guilt and your shame. If you're not a Christian here today, you have a choice. I imagine, in fact I'm pretty much certain, you know exactly what I've just talked about for the last 25 minutes. You might not even say you're Christian. You know the feeling of nakedness. You know the guilt and the shame. You know that feeling of inadequacy and impurity. You've got a choice. God is walking to you even as I speak now and saying, where are you? Come out from behind the tree. Drop your fig leaves. Give up your excuses, particularly the intellectual ones. And come to me for a new covering, for a new healing. You know, it's so hard to do, i said this before, because you have to humble yourself. And pride is the thing that stops people entering the kingdom of God. Come out from behind the tree, drop your fig leaves, give up your excuses, come with a broken and contrite heart, and God will accept you, he'll forgive you, he'll clothe you with a new and wonderful purity, and he'll fill you with his spirit, and he'll give you a willing spirit to sustain you. Guys, can I ask you to stand and we're going to respond. I'll get Chris and the band back. What we're going to do, I've said this every week, we will offer prayer now, but I'm going to encourage you to go back to your mission groups, your accountability groups, and get them to pray with you. If you don't have someone that you can be accountable to, if you don't have a prophet Nathan in your life, please start praying for one and say, God, give it me now. Give it me. I want someone like Nathan or I can, he can be honest with me or she can be honest with me and tell me. So that's what we're going to do every week. We're going to say, you need to go and work this through with the people you know and love and trust. And we've prepared a mission group handout for the leaders to help you guys. We'll, of course, offer prayer today. And so if you want to pray, we're going to stay around and pray with you. So can we just close our eyes and I want us to, I'm going to pray Psalm 51 slowly, leave pauses and you can pray it uh, for yourself. And if you're not content with your, if you're not content with your body and the way you look, please don't see that as a non-spiritual issue. God made you, 
He created you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. And he says, in my sight, I think you're beautiful. I think you're perfect. And you need to learn what it is to be pure in Christ and perfect in Christ today. And you need to receive prayer as well. So please don't see that as a non-spiritual issue. Let me pray. Can we have some music just as I pray? Okay, we're going to go through Psalm 51. I'll leave pauses. You can repeat the words or just let them soak in. And then we'll respond by singing. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Come before God now and be completely honest before him. hear these amazing words that the gospel brings to us. Cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd make known the cleansing that is on offer today men and women here today who just feel that they want to say hide your face in my sins and blot out my iniquity I pray they know in Jesus that that is true true right now and they are whiter than snow if you need to just repent and go Lord restore to me the joy of your salvation make me whiter than snow just do it now Your heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Just say those words again to, to God. You know, every week I uh, do a men's group and uh, we do two or three accountability questions. And then we recite those two verses to each other and before God. It would be a great discipline for you to do every day this week. To recite verses 7 to 12, even 1 to 12. And pray particularly for that new heart, those new desires, the new affections. That sin would start to seem horrible and offensive to you as you're so um, captivated by the love of God. And then lastly, this is a way of us saying... I'm dropping down all my coverings that I'm trying to make. You do not delight in sacrifice, so I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. 
The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. But God, you will not despise. Just again, come before God, declare your spiritual bankruptcy. And uh, are you happy? If you're able, can you just kneel with me? If you're not able to kneel for whatever reason, can you um, uh, just sit on your seats? And we'll just kneel together because kneeling is the posture of a broken and contrite heart. God doesn't despise us when we come like this. Just kneel before him. And this kneeling, if you're not a Christian here today, this kneeling is an opportunity for you to do it in your heart. To give up everything that's stopping you come to God and just accept his clothing of you.